Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. When the footwork craze first erupted out of Chicago, few were able to put names to the music behind the wild dancing. Gradually, though, DJ Rashad and DJ Spin emerged as prime movers, two kids from the South Side with a crate full of beats designed to move the crowd, but the curiosity and knowledge to look beyond their neighborhood. First, they traveled to Detroit and then the world, encouraged by admirers from the UK bass scene, such as Addison Groove. In this riveting lecture at the 2011 Red Bull Music Academy, they reflected on the origins of juke and footwork and talked about where it could go next. Of course, DJ Rashad tragically passed away three years later, but it's a fascinating look at a moment when footwork and juke was first gaining widespread acceptance in what two of its biggest artists were thinking at the time. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of couch wisdom. So you're both from Chicago, like born, always been there? Yep. Where exactly from? Well, the south suburbs, you know, can't front, can't lie. But, you know, where we, where we live at, I guarantee you, it's like rougher than like... In the city. <laughs> for real. Yeah. So maybe for all of us who haven't been to Chicago, like I've been there once, but don't know too much about it. So maybe could you fill us in about this whole South Side thing, like what it's like there, what's the difference to the West Side? That's not an East Side, right? So oh, that's what like the, the geography of the city, yeah? Well, I mean, we got a big lake, so the East Side is predominantly the South Side still. So yeah, you got the whole South Side, which is, I want to start say starts at 127th. That's 127 block to to zero when you go up in the numbers. And um, that goes all the way east to the lake. Uh, I don't even know what 100 block that is. That's pretty far, some miles that stretch all the way from zero all the way east. And then the west side is from downtown, <laughs> more 100 blocks all the way to the west side. So, and like the south side, pretty much, um, we had most most of the projects on the south side, like the, the project buildings. And uh, man, a lot of great music and a lot of great art and just man imagination and everything coming to being from just hard circumstances came out of man a real rough area so you said before you got into djing rashad you got into djing in like 92 um so what kind of music were you playing back then like uh, house we was playing old school house more like the track records uh dance mania if you guys are familiar with that uh, and a lot of techno Techno, as in like the stuff from Detroit that came out of Detroit and like that, that type Techno of stuff. Techno from Detroit and overseas as well. Okay. So, like overseas, what kind of stuff? Like Speedy J, Pullover. Uh, yeah, Craftwork. Craftwork. Okay. How, I mean, how did you get exposed to that music? Like, was that like was that on the radio? Was that like stuff you picked up, whatever? Like, was that a record shop thing? Was that like people playing the stuff in their cars? Or like, how did it you was, first get in touch with that, with that type of music? It was like the clubs that we was going to when we were kids. Like, um, it was a club called Jubilation, right? Yeah, Jubilation. Jubilation was like a teen club for like sixth grade to yeah to high school, yeah. believe it or not. And uh, they kicked the, like us out at 11, and the party continued to two for the older guys, you know. So we used to get a taste of the, the nightlife when we was young, and uh, we heard it, and we just went crazy for it. Okay, so was the, was the was the DJing first, or were you like into dancing first, or? Dancing was first, but uh, I started doing both 
in like seventh grade. I started DJing. Um, I kind of stopped dancing for a minute, and I wanted to focus more on DJing. And uh, at that time, I was just kind of like playing around with it. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I further got into it, and uh, yeah, it just took off from there. How about you? Uh, I've been dancing all my life, so like me and him, it's like when we met, we was like the same spirit. Like so, it was like some divine or something. You know, it's crazy. So like by the time we got to meet each other officially in like '95 in uh, high school, it was like we already seen each other like from parties and stuff. And then I got with him. He was already like had a drum machine, turntables at the house. I give him a call. He like, man, I'm over here mixing, man. You should come through. I'm like, dang, I'm at work. <laughs> you know, I'm working. I'm a young dude working. So I'm like, man, this dude really got equipment. Like, wow, you know, I got, I got to get up with him ASAP. What kind of equipment are we talking about? Like drum machine? What kind of, what kind of shit did you have with that? Uh, at that time, I had a Doctor Rhythm uh, six sixty. And uh, I had I had 112 at this time, 112 Technic 100, and uh, a BD-12 Gemini, if y'all remember that back in the day. So, yeah, allowance money. I don't forget the Gemini mixer, bro. Oh, the mixer, with the sample, with on, the it. sample on it. Yeah. And then um, after 96, it come the word juke right here. Juke. Like uh, DJ Poncho, Gantman, they put the word on the map, and they came out with an album called Let Me See You Juke. Like, if you listen to the stuff, especially like sitting in front of a speaker like that, and it makes perfect sense. There's like a pretty unbroken lineage from even from like whatever the music box, Frankie Knuckles era type house music to whatever the cashmere stuff to like the ghetto house stuff later on. But how did that happen? I mean, the, the stuff getting, you know, simpler and faster. Was that like pressure from the dancers or anything? Or how, I mean, how did that happen? Do you have an explanation for that? Yeah, we finna break that down right now. Uh, that's what Dance Mania pretty much closed down. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah coming to a close. It's really our fault. <laughs> Truthfully, uh, everybody that was on Dance Mania Records when it closed down, they just stopped DJing. I'm talking Dion, Milton, Sluggo, Sluggo PJ, Waxmaster, uh, Wax Master, DJ Funk, too. Uh, everybody just left. So, as far uh, as Chicago goes. As far as Chicago goes, they weren't doing no parties. Uh, they stopped making music and it just left the scene completely. So, that left me, this guy, DJ Clint, our people, Tracks Man, the Gang Man, just out there. So we was like, fuck it, we're going to take over. But we didn't know we was going to get this far. You know, we was just like far as Chicago. Just holding it down for the, for, our city. for the city. You know, and for the, you know, yeah. So that's what happened. Where did you play at that time? With Like, what were the clubs you played at or the kind of parties you played at? Uh, like Dalton Expo, Cavallini's Club, yeah, those Cavallini's. Like, like teen events, uh, like 16, 15 and up or something like that. You get in with a high school ID. You had to be like a sophomore or higher to get into parties. You couldn't be older than 21 to get in. Stuff like that. Also, like, on the low end, too, 51st, the Elks. Oh, yeah, we used to be in all Saint the projects. Elizabeth, all the projects. We were everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, because at the same time, we was in a dance group called House of Maddox, which was from the low end of Chicago. And, uh, man, they actually gave us our first break with DJing at the biggest parties in the city. So, it's like a blessing. Like, that was our little plan, though, to get in with dancing. And then, yeah, we DJ and we make tracks. So, what kind of places were that? Like, how many people would come there? Oh, shit. Uh, Dalton Expo is like yeah, um, it's like four thousand, four thousand people every every, every Saturday week. and Friday night, yeah, for like four or five years straight. And were you able to like make a living off that? Like, did you get paid properly, or was it more of a fun thing back then? We was kids. We so. was kids. We didn't know the business. You know, like, yeah, but, uh, we got a little something to keep our mouth shut, but we didn't care. We was more happy just to do it. It was all about the love and just having a good time, you know. So 
Nah, we sh- I wish we would have kind of like focused on the money a little bit more. Yeah. But nah, we didn't care. And at the same time, like the, the older guys that were already established, like they never really helped us. Like no one ever was like, man, I see the potential in you guys. We want to help y'all out. You know, y'all want to put out a record or something. You know, they'd give us their little hints or something like that. Like, yeah, keep that under wraps or you should put that out with Dance Mania or something like that. But we didn't know Dance Mania was going to come to a close as soon as it did. So we were just getting our feet wet. And, like, we wish we could play some of our tracks from back in the day. But, unfortunately, they was on tapes. And who has a tape player here? Nobody. So the question would be, like, who knows what a tape player is? Right, what is a cassette? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, do you have these type of tracks? Like, do you still play them out? Or are they, like, somewhat, somewhere lost on, on tape? Oh, and yeah, you never... still, uh, well, the tracks we got, we still play, yeah. Yeah, I mean, from that time. Yeah, like this stuff we got right here. But as okay. far as our original production, we have none of that. Somebody has it somewhere. They they hoard them somewhere and they keep them for safekeeping, I guess. Yeah. But they'll find us one day and, and bless us <laughs> with our own music back. <laughs> so you mentioned before that like Cashmere was living in your building and you didn't know that. And you, I mean, you probably whatever read the name on a record and they were like, oh, these must be superstars and just lived around the corner. So how about people like Slugo and Dion? Did you know them? Like. Just, did they kind of, you know, were you in touch with them? Or? Well, yeah, we met them through House of Maddox because they were also House of Maddox DJs. So um, once we got in the group with them, uh, with the dance group, you know, um, the president kind of like introduced us and said, oh, this is Dion, this, you know, so us, we was like kind of like nervous and shit. But, you know, we met them and uh, we had to prove our point because back then, like it was no Serato, it was no um, YouTube, none of that. So you had to prove that you could DJ on 12s, you know, and records. You had to carry crates of records, too, back then. So uh, we had to show them what we was about, man, and we, we showed them. So what was the relation like? Was it more of a competition type of thing? Like, oh, these kids want to take my spot? Or was it more like, okay, I see some passion, talent there. Let me let me maybe help these guys? Or how was it like? Man, uh, actually, I mean, we never felt any bad blood from any of the older guys. It was just like, we're not from where they from. So I guess they didn't know how to approach us to to help us out if they did want to help us out, you know. So it was a more of a thing like, well, we're going to keep it going anyway, and we dancing, and we got fans as far as what we do. So we good, you know. We love y'all music. We're going to still play it as much as they put out, you know, as long as it's good tracks, we're going to play it. From 99 to 2003 when we actually got with the label, uh, a lot of stuff changed, and we still were making like uh, – Chicago stuff, yeah, I say. Footwork, actually, but footwork. we didn't have a name for yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't call it footwork back then. It was just called tracks at that time. Man, uh, after a couple weeks, man, we were selling out on the West Side. They like, we need some more of that uh, footwork. <laughs> for real. And we was like, okay, we got more for you. So terminology, you mentioned Duke before. How did that come about again? Where did the term come from? <laughs> it came from just one track, uh, Poncho and uh, Gang Man made back in 98. And the word juke, was that popular before that track? Like, did people say that and that's why they put it on the track? Or was it the other way around? Like, like the connection between that sound kinda, and that word? It kind of was. Like, I mean, that's just some Chicago slang. Uh, I don't think so. I think Poncho and them kicked it off. They was the first one saying it. Well, not the first, but the first one to bring it out, put it like right, that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, so with that sound and especially the stuff that you went on to do, like the footwork stuff, you could tell, of, of course, you know, it's in the lineage of house music, but the rhythms are different 
of course, not, you know, straight forward to the floor stuff, more twisted. And you mentioned hip hop before. Was that an influence at that time for you? Like, did you ever listen to any hip hop? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been an influence from day from one. Day one. Yeah, I mean, hip hop and all music that we like. I mean, anything that we, we put in, like what our, our, our parents listen to or uncles, aunts, whatever we listened to when we were little. Like once technology started catching up with what we were doing, we were able to manipulate the samples a lot better from, man, just having a tape deck and pitching it up fast and it sound like chipmunks or something like that, or pitching it slow and it sound So when the technology kept, started keep keeping up with what we were doing, it, it started making sense to the dancers and stuff. So what did you use at that time, like 2000? What, what kind of equipment did you have back then? Man, we still had his same drum machine, the the, um, the 660. We had that for a long time. We was JS30, JS30 rolling sampler, and you uh, had to MIDI that together and like do some crazy MIDI stuff with the with the drum machine and the sampler to make it work. It was like kind of hard, but hard, once but we, we mastered it, mastered yeah, it. it was cool. No MPC till '04. Yeah, but uh, our friend Clint had an MPC at this time, so we was at his studio most of the time working on the MPC there, if we didn't do it at the house. Okay. So, you used the, the term footwork before. How did that came about? Like, who first come, came up with that word, with that name for that sound? We don't know. No, it's like it's, numerous stories it's like, floating I mean, around it's like the, the people. It's like the people, really. Uh, uh, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, people just like, play some footwork, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? <laughs> ah, I bet. So, you know, after you hear that a couple times, it just stuck. Just like Drew, kind of like, you know. Yeah. But we didn't, like, capitalize and say, oh, we're going to call this footwork. No, it wasn't us. So, you could tell that stuff sounded different. Like, was that, like, your intention to do something that sounded different from the other stuff that was out at that time? Or did, just from you, you know, you being in Detroit, you listening to other stuff, like... Did it more like just come about or was it like an intentional thing to do? Well, see, that's the thing. Like when we went to Detroit, um, we were always doing the footwork on the side. But due to the standards that we had set for us, we had to commercialize our shit and like make it radio friendly, DJ friendly. So at that time we was doing both. Um, footwork was always there for us. That's like like something that I could just go to and just do whatever I want type thing. You know what I mean? Versus like... Uh, you're trying to make a hit trying record. Trying to make a hit record and shit. We still keep it traditional. Like, we never wanted to, like, really change it all the way. But we in certain to do it our way. Yeah, in certain ways we had to because, like, the respect from the guys that were doing it before us, like, they never really respected us to the to the level we wanted. We just wanted respect, like, out of homage because we looked up to them guys. And it's like, okay, well, you don't want to accept what we got going on. Well, we're going to change it then. It don't matter. So if you talk to a lot of people who are like producers and DJs, it's probably one of the biggest cliches in like the history of dance music. They say like, yeah, I'm a DJ. So I think like a DJ, so I would produce tracks that I would like to play as a DJ. So you also being dancers, did that in any way affect the stuff you produced? Like as in like, this is stuff I want to dance to? Oh yeah, that's yeah, 100%. That's, like, that's, that's probably where it came from, really, the dancing side of us. You know, because uh, dancers from Chicago really likes bass, claps, like something crazy, you know, something unexpected. And that's what we try to keep up for the people that were still dancing with us or at that time. So when you say still dancing, and you mentioned before when you played some of the early records, there were already battles going on. So when did that, that whole thing like originate? Like the idea of, you know, rolling up as a crew to a club and have like this kind of dance battle in the club? Shit, probably when break dancing came out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then from there, you got the, the house dancers. Then from the house dancers to the ghetto house dancers. It was like different movements 
like everybody had, like, you know, just the house down there, just like this, you know, cool, you know. And you got the ghetto house down there, do a little something different, you know. Then you get the ghetto house, they more with the feet. So in the late 90s, it started getting real complicated when it come to footwork. And then, like, now it's like, and these kids are amazing. Like, they dancing so fast. But at the same time, we make the music so they can slow down and catch their breath and then come back to going fast. So it's like, it worked out. In terms of house dancers, who were the, who were the ones you, you looked up to? You kind of, you know, people were talking about the big guys on the house dancing. And it's, it's a number one dude from Chicago. His name Ant Brown. Like, he, he, the number, he, he the guy that really that... Taught was, us, too. Yeah, that... Almost, I want to say, invented footwork in Chicago as far as modernizing it and making it like with skill and like just going out there and being like, yeah, I ain't gonna mess with him. <laughs> yeah, people were scared of him when he came in the club, straight up. <laughs> people was dancing, hey, see Ant? Like, oh shit. Because <laughs> he will embarrass you and take all the girls, yeah. man. It was like, fuck, Ant here. Yeah, that's what it was about back in the day. Just respect. Like, that's all we wanted was respect. It wasn't respect, about no money. Girls, at all. And that's it. That's all yeah. we cared about. The juice, we called it. Then we'll get a little money, DJ, and that's extras. Pretty much what we try to do is set something for them, for the full workers to have something to do versus, uh, and kids, whoever, um, pretty much, instead of just banging on the streets, smoking, or, you know, selling drugs or whatever, man, because it's crazy out in Chicago, and uh, ain't shit to do, really, but get into trouble, you know? So we felt like maybe we have something for these guys to kind of, you know, express themselves in another way, you know? Which was pretty cool. Uh, we really didn't get no money out of this. This was all for the kids. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, in terms of like new records, I assume you play a lot of your own stuff. So, how many like, how many new, 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 new tracks you knock out like a week? Countless. <laughs> this dude right here. Yeah, it's countless. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't like, know. like 10 per day countless or more like 50 per day countless? Nah, I won't say 50 a day, but like at least five to six a day. At least, at the least. And uh, like me and DJ Manny, one of the other little guys we got in the crew, like me and him would just go back to back all day. All day. And then we'll go play it there. And that's how we test the, the, the tracks out. You know, we'll play it at the Battlegrounds or at the party and see how they respond to it. And we'll know if it's good or bad. So how would you actually approach a track like that? Like, what, what do you start with in terms of production? Like, is that whatever, I don't know, the, the, the hook first, the sample first, or you come up with some drums? It kind of really all depends on the, the mood you're in, you know, how you want to do it. Mostly, though, I, if I'm going to do a track with some samples in it, I start with the samples first, cut them up, and work the beat around the samples. You know what I mean? Um, and just take it from there. So with the stuff you release, is that also like a... Um, done in an hour or do you like spend some more time on the some stuff? of it yeah, yeah some of it was like 15 minutes some of it was two hours but see like a lot of the stuff that we put out like with Planet Mule it's not our choice it's right? not our choice they kind of like pick what they want you know what I mean so um, the stuff that we did want to put out like the stuff we worked hard for you might not hear on Planet Mule you know but we, we got another little record label coming out where we're gonna put most of that stuff out on so okay your own one? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, one of our partners is doing it. So, uh, okay. yeah, it should be coming out real soon with City Records. So with that whole Planet Mew thing, I mean, that was kind of, you know, I guess surprising for everybody when that when that came up. When you first heard that there's just like this label in, in all the way, you know, in the UK paying, like, paying interest in what you guys are doing and wanted to put out some stuff. 
was it like yeah great or were there any like reservations first because if you think about the history of like dance music there like there were so many labels fucked up by like european labels even all the way back in the 80s with whatever acid house and then later on with the with the whatever chicago house stuff so how what do you think when 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 mike or whoever else first approached you well uh i don't think he approached us first i think it was like dj nate first like he put out the DJ it was Nate, Nate, yeah. Nate Rock and then me uh, and right. pretty much I was uh, blessed and happy that he approached me because I, I really never heard of Planet Moo until he did approach me and I did my research like damn this is what's up you know um, it felt good you know to have another whole side of the world hit me up to put out a record so yeah. I, it was a good feeling for me what, what's the connection to like Nate and, 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 and Rock anyway like is that like Do you spend a lot of time with these people? I mean, I assume you know them. Like, I mean, is that like one the, crew? Is that like a completely well, like, different type yeah. of scene? Well, Nate ain't even around. Yeah, I, Nate, Nate seen like Nate raps ever. and stuff now. So ever. like, yeah, like Rock a lot of these around. guys, like they really don't participate in the scene as we participate in the scene. Like we've been doing this for 15 years. So it's like, it's hard to not be mad. Like I'm not mad at anybody that come up doing what we do, but it's a, a respect issue. Just like how we wanted to earn our respect From the guys before us, I just I just want to show it's love. It's not even about the respect. It's like if you're there and you're part of this movement, you should be at, at these parties. Like I can't speak for Rock. He has been at a couple of parties, but for the most part, we never seen DJ Nate ever. And we're not hating or none of that. It's just the truth. Like you know, and you know, have you ever seen DJ Nate at a footwork? I seen. Nah, it wasn't a footwork event. Exactly. Nah, I seen him somewhere. Never. So um, nobody's mad or nobody's hating, but it's just like. Uh, If you're gonna be a part of the movement, claim the fame, you should be like represented. Yeah. But I mean, especially with Nate, the music is kind of different anyway. Like it has more of a whatever hip hop, hip hop type twist anyway, right? Yeah, like Nate music and like certain rock tunes, like our, our style from like 2000. 2002. Yeah, like when we just went crazy and like when we got weird, with Godfather, real weird. he put us in line like, yo, I can't put out this crazy stuff. So we had to change it up. And for them to get the opportunity to just put out their raw tracks, hey, that's, More power to that's cool. That's cool. That's what's up. So in terms of, you said before that you had never heard of Planet Mew before, before they approached you. Like, what's with all the other like UK or like European rave stuff, like whatever, the all the, I don't know, like hardcore stuff then later jungle drum and bass like of course the energy is very similar also like almost the the speed of the records is kind of similar a little little slower but still was there ever an influence like did you know about that stuff or like did you pick up like random bits or was that something you went to well i could say at all was that oh seven we went to seattle oh seven that was oh eight yeah oh seven oh eight like seattle was like an experience like that really put us in tune with other with music and, and we Especially. didn't know It was coming from across the water. We thought these guys on the we West Coast Seattle was making it. it. Yeah, so we're like, damn, this is that skateboard music shit. We like this. Then we, we, you know, we get in touch with people and we find out yeah, what the real out. is. Yeah, and we're like, real uh -huh. okay. And then we hearing that guys from overseas is like picking up on the style of music that we making. And we like, oh, okay, that's cool. And like the first person I ever heard to like, to, to openly say it was Addison Groove in the interviews. Like, I listen to Rashad and Spin. And we like, what? Okay. Hello. Yeah. And then from there, we kind of like linked up. So yeah, shout out to Addison Groove. He was here last week. Yeah, we heard, we heard, we just found out. So, I mean, on a very general level, like, how do you feel about what's happening these days with, like, you know, people all around the world producing stuff that's quite obviously influenced by you stuff? I mean, I'm not going to lie, I think for mo a lot of the people in the room, including me, 
we're not really up to what you guys were doing. I mean, we were familiar with the name, like Footwork Juke, of course, some of the tracks, but not really familiar with what's going on. And now all of a sudden you have all these kids like making juke music or like juke influence music. How do you feel about that? Like, do you see? I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they show the proper respect behind it. Like, they show more respect than the Chicago guys. It's not even, on, not even that. Also, they take it and they flip it their own way. Yeah. And that's creative right there. You know, it's not like they're just biting it from us. And and it's kind of like flattering, if you will. Yeah, you know? it's very flattering. Uh, we love it, man. And we support it, too. We also play it. So, you know, yeah, I think it's a good thing. That's what's up. How about the older cats from Chicago? Like, I mean, somebody like, I don't know about Frankie Knuckles. Like, would he know the stuff you're doing? Is there any, like, sort of connection there? I mean, you know, we do now getting bigger bookings and playing festivals, whatever. I assume you cross paths with these people, too, like, right? Not I ain't really. seen Frankie Knuckles. Um, oh, man, I can't even think of the guy. Um, it was it was one guy. Uh, man, he was an old school cat. He was actually in Chicago and trying to, like, lock down all the high schools and, like, represent Juke. But, like, he from House. And like he never played a part in Juke. I can't think of his name right now, bro. He was he was a big house that ghetto. From Chicago. Yeah, from Chicago. And he was really trying to capitalize, like throwing juke parties at high schools and like you never had nothing to do with Juke at all. <laughs> That's the crazy stuff we go through in Chicago though. Have you ever met like other people around the world to do that kind of stuff? I, I think that's like a bit of a scene in Paris and of course like the UK whole UK approach to it to kind of edit their own Uh, UK way of doing bass music and that whole tradition of whatever coming from garage and, and jungle and all these things like is there any other like like for some reason like a scene anywhere else in the world where they really do the stuff like you do it oh yeah uh, Paris we got the uh, booty call booty crew call out records, there uh, Captain Cadillac uh, Marvin the Pimp um, yeah. when we was in The Hague they got a uh, juke squad Rivers called area, Rivers area juke, juke squad which was crazy uh We wasn't expecting that, but they, they got a nice little community and they, they doing it just kind of like how we doing it, but they in their own little way. Yeah, you know? I think it was some Japanese guys, because uh, I know they got some dance crews out there. Like, the dancers touched the other side of the water first, so, like, they got a chance to spread the seed of the dancing first. And it's like, for the for all the dancers that picked up on what they were doing, they had to find the music to do it to. So, it worked hand in hand, and, like, man, we just blessed to have an opportunity to, to spread our music, like, for real. Did your sound or like even like your approach to producing music change at all? Like with you touring in the last two years and like getting whatever all these bookings are all around the world and playing in these sorts of club scenarios, did that change your way of producing at all? Uh, not producing, but what we'll play. Like yeah. it's certain stuff we know that, man, they might not be ready for this. We're going to give them some sort of techno or four to the floor. And then certain places, they just want to hear footwork. And we like, all right, cool. We can Chicago it out. Yeah, a lot of a lot of places like are starting to ask for more of the footwork now, and which is kind of shocking because I thought they wouldn't be ready for it. But like they come up to us and, and they got the phone and they play this, you know, I'm like damn, they know the name of it and anything. All right, cool. So I kind of feel like I'm at home when I'm going to these places now, like London and everywhere, man. It's it's really cool, man, and we just love it and enjoying it. It's cool. It's crazy. <laughs> Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and events. Almost every year since 1998, we have done the main academy event in one city. But we also do various things around the world throughout the year. In fact, we may just be doing an event near you pretty soon. 
If you want to find out more, do check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us uh, while you're at it. It really does help other people discover the podcast. For now, thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom.